0: It's difficult for several reasons. Firstly, the passage has some very complex translation issues in it. For example, the word divorce. In modern English, the word divorce means having the right to remarry. But there are several biblical words that are translated divorce, none of which necessarily mean that. They're just normal words which mean send away, separate, leave, depart, uh, cut off, but none of them are actually divorce, which has this quite complex legal, quite specific legal meaning in Australian language of separating with the right to, to remarry. We, we have a big difference between separation and divorce. When you're separate, you still are married and therefore can't Remarry. When you're divorced, you are now free to remarry. Well, that division, that distinction is not there in the Bible. And so I think whenever you see the word divorce in the Bible, the translation's wrong. It means something like separate, cut off, leave. Secondly, the passage is touching on one of the great hurts of our modern world, namely divorce. There are not many people here today who will be unaffected by it be it our own life, or our parents, or our children, or our friends. Divorce is so widespread in our society that we're all affected by it now, and it is always painful. Either what leads up to it is painful, or the process is painful, or what follows from it is painful, but divorce is one of the most painful areas of life. Thirdly, it's a difficult passage that must be preached because of these difficulties, it has become a passage that raises some very controversial topics. Whether or not it's right to divorce, whether or not it's right to remarry. And if so, under what circumstance would it be right and under what circumstances would it be wrong? And fourthly, because of all these reasons, there are more arguments, theories and articles and commentaries on this little bit of Matthew's Gospel than any other part of Matthew's Gospel. And being a difficult passage to preach hard to understand properly and painful because preaching it means you're treading on people's pain it's essential that I do preach it for if Jesus has something to say on the topic then we need to hear what he has to say for his opinion is more important than anybody else's opinion and the platform is not the place to pull away from difficulties it's the very place to actually face up to them but being difficult like this we better pray about it pray for me to understand the truth and to speak the truth, for you to listen with discernment and that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and encourage our hearts to love and serve God and each other properly. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us now. Help me to speak that which is true, help us to hear and understand what your word says, give to us discernment and the outpouring of your spirit to enlighten the mind and our hearts that we may be more passionate to obey you than to do what we want to do. And so help us to understand what we need to do to please you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a classic Q&A passage for it recounts the Pharisees and the disciples, the Pharisees questions and Jesus answers. The disciples questions, Jesus answers. But it's also a passage where we look for answers to our questions. Uh, We want to know the mind of God about marriage, about divorce and especially about remarriage but we want to know the rules, we want to know the boundaries to put around, we want to know if we can divorce, if we can remarry and what are the acceptable grounds but Because these are our questions, we run the risk of misreading Jesus and what he is saying, because he may not be answering our questions. He was answering the Pharisees' questions, the disciples' questions, but even the way in which he answered them may mean that he's not answering our questions. So look at the Pharisees' test. For although they asked a question... Matthew lets us understand that it really wasn't a question, it wasn't an inquiry, it was a test. Jesus was ministering in Judah, across the river from Jerusalem and and the home of Judaism, and the success of his healing ministry in verse 1 brought large crowds to him, So, so so that he came to the notice of the Pharisees who came out to check him, testing him with a trick question. This was a trap. A trick to try and catch him out now we don't know for sure the precise nature of this trap it could have been to entice him into attacking King Herod because John the Baptist had attacked King Herod about his remarriage and his adulterous marriages and as a result was handed over to Herod and in due time was was executed And it could have been the Pharisees were trying to draw Jesus out to make the same kind of mistake that John had made by asking this question. On the other hand, it could have been a question to kind of settle the dispute between the warring parties within Judaism about the meaning of Deuteronomy 24 and the issue of on what basis you can divorce or not or remarry or not. We can't be sure. Though I favour the John the Baptist theory because Matthew goes out of the way to tell us that he went into this region and we know that is the very place in which John the Baptist was working and we know that John the Baptist suffered for his view on this subject. Furthermore, the Pharisees aren't happy with Jesus' first answer. But having a follow-up question in verse 7 about Moses and the law that Jesus again answers, this time we're reading not only Jesus' off-the-cuff response to a trap, but also the Pharisees' off-the-cuff question in reaction. So we're not reading a kind of worked-out statement of what Jesus believes on a subject. See, I've got my notes here. I've got a worked-out statement what I'm going to say today. What we're meeting is Jesus in the marketplace being asked a question, giving an answer, the Pharisees then thinking up the next question and firing that back at him, and he's answering again. At the end of this interplay between Jesus and the Pharisees, we have the disciples' confusion in verse 10, where they say to him in verse 10, the disciple said to him, If such the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? Now, while this is not a trap or a trick question, to test or to tempt Jesus, it's still a question that sets the agenda for Jesus rather than a, a reading of what Jesus was teaching on the topic. But don't don't mishear me in this regard. Jesus' offhanded comments are still inspired and authoritative. But if we're searching for Jesus' teaching on divorce, these comments are only his reactions to questions on the subject. They let us see something of his views, but they must be read in the context of controversy. So let's see Jesus' answers. First thing is to notice about all three answers is that they attack the assumptions upon which the questions were based. He doesn't actually answer the questions as asked, but he disagrees with the assumptions or the premises upon which the questions were were framed. In so doing, he takes us behind the questions and exposes the motives and falsehoods of the questioners. So Jesus, the first answer is from about creation. You see, the, the Pharisees asked the question in verse 3 is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus takes them not to the case law of Moses, or a discussion of Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel and the rest, but to the creation narrative of the law in Genesis. He takes them not to the appropriate cause for divorce, but the reason and nature of marriage. So we read in verse 4, He answered, have you not read, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. See, that's not about the cause for divorce. This is about the creation of marriage. And so the purpose of marriage, and therefore the permanent nature of marriage. Verse 4 and 5 are really just putting together Genesis one twenty-seven with Genesis 2.24. He conflates these two texts. And it's verse 6 that he draws then a conclusion from those two texts that what Genesis is saying and declares is that God joins, he joins the two into one flesh and no human should separate them. Here is God's purpose for making male and female. Here is God's action in marrying us. Here is the right view of marriage, a view that seeks no divorce but the Pharisees are not here to hear Jesus answer they're here to trap him and all his answer has done so far is to avoid their trap and show them up for the ungodliness of their questioning so we come to the second answer about Moses for the Pharisees rejoinder is to point to Deuteronomy 24 about what Moses said on divorce and so they ask him in verse 7 why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now we come to a trickier question and answer some of which is caught up in the precise words that are used. For notice the Pharisees used the word command and Jesus used the word allowed or as the King James had it suffered. Deuteronomy 24 was not about marriage and divorce it was about Jewish hard-heartedness about Jewish sinfulness. It did not command divorce or even command giving a bill of divorce it was about the defiling consequences of multiple marriages. So turn back with me to page 197, 197 Because we can't understand Matthew 19 without seeing this passage in Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 to 4. And in this passage you'll see there's actually only one command and it occurs in verse 4, then the former husband may not take her again to be his wife. But let me read the passage for you. When a man takes a wife and marries her, Her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. It's a long complex sentence, isn't it? If, 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 then. But let me give it to you in concrete picture examples out of Hollywood. Robert Wagner, married Natalie Wood in 1957 and they remained married till 1963 when they divorced. Richard Gregson then married Natalie Wood in 1969 and remained married with her till 1972 when they were divorced. Robert Wagner then remarried Natalie Wood in 1972 until 1981 when she was tragically killed Falling over a boat and drowning uh, mysteriously. But that's Deuteronomy 24. He marries, he divorces, another man marries her and divorces, and then he remarries the first the first husband, remarries her. And that is what is forbidden in Deuteronomy 24. That's the abomination. Now In making that command, there are several assumptions. Firstly, husband gives a certificate of departure. So in verse 1, he gives her a certificate and sent her away. You see how the word divorce is put in there, but that begs the question as to what we mean by it. He gives her a a certificate of dismissal is a better way of translating it. Uh, Notice, this is not being commanded that he should do it, nor is it being forbidden that he shouldn't do it it's just this is what was done and this is the way it was done secondly notice presumably the certificate enables her to remarry see without the certificate she would not be able to remarry for she would be still recognized as the first as the husband's wife and so any remarriage would be bigamy that is the purpose of the certificate appears to be the legal freedom that it gives her. It's not just putting his wife away in separation, but legally ending the marriage. Thirdly, notice from verse 4, that the certificate and or the remarriage defiles her. For the assumption of verse 4 is that by her certified departure or by her remarriage as a divorcee, she has been defiled you see look at verse 4 again then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord it's not the second certified departure that has defiled her for the second husband could have died and there's no defilement in being a widow and a widow is completely free to remarry it is either the certificate, the fact that he certified that she's an adulteress publicly by giving her the certificate, or the fact that she remarried. Either of those must have been what has defiled her to make it impossible for him to remarry her in a third marriage. And so the fourth assumption of the passage is that defilement is the reason for the command. In verse 4 not to remarry. The second marriage defiled her so that the first husband cannot now in holiness marry her. If she didn't marry a second time but remained unmarried, presumably he could remarry her. He sends her out and then he changes his mind and brings her back. That would not be the the defilement, it's the fact that he sent her out in such a way that she is free to remarry and that she has remarried that he now cannot bring her back for she has been somewhere in this process defiled. So why did he write the certificate? Why not just separate for a while and sort out the matters between them? Okay, there's Deuteronomy 24. Now, let's return to Matthew 19, which uh, is on page and 81 two. Not only does he challenge the Pharisees in their misreading of Deuteronomy about the command but he also reminds them that this is not the way marriage was created but from the beginning it was not so and he warns them that legal remarriage doesn't avoid the condemnation of adultery. Just because you have been remarried doesn't mean you're not adultery, I've got double negatives there, haven't I? You can commit adultery by being serialised marriage. Um, Mickey Rooney married eight times. That's adulterous. The fact that he went through a marriage ceremony each time just has made sure that he's totally impoverished because he's got so much maintenance to pay. But it doesn't remove the charge of adultery any more than Elizabeth Taylor's many, many remarriages, removes the accusation of adultery. And so he warns them that legal remarriage doesn't avoid the condemnation of adultery. And I say to you, whoever divorces or whoever puts away his wife, not for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. As you can imagine, these words of Jesus have been poured over by many scholars to determine what it means, what this phrase, not for sexual immorality, means. But apart from there being not much agreement, and apart from the fact that I think the translation is wrong, it's got the word accept, when the word accept is not there, it just says not. And apart from the fact that the word divorce is not there, it's just put away. So it's not for sexual immorality to put away your wife. I think our question's have intruded in on Jesus' teaching. He's not talking about divorce and remarriage. That's what the Pharisees were talking about. He's talking about marriage being a lifelong commitment that doesn't countenance divorce, let alone remarriage. I met a woman who said that as she walked down the aisle at her wedding, she was thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, we can always get divorced. Surprise, surprise, three years later, she was divorced. You cannot enter into marriage with that mindset. As you enter into marriage, you're entering in to lifetime commitment. Jesus' teaching was so strong that when alone, later with his disciples, they make this comment, if such is the case, verse 10, of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Now, it's a little hard to know. How best to read this comment of theirs. Were they amazed by his teaching? Were they cynical then about marriage? Were they cynical about the ability of people to marry like this without the possibility of getting out of a bad marriage? What lay behind the question of the disciples is a little difficult to work out. But it does mean that Jesus gives his third answer, this time to the disciples, which is one of the strangest teachings of Jesus that we have verse 11 not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let the one who is able to receive this receive it and I know many many people who have been wondering whether they are able to receive it ever since because they don't get what it is that he's saying he warns us that it's not for everybody But just as there are some who are eunuchs from birth or because they've been castrated by men, there are also those who have chosen to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Sexual expression is not the only way to live in this world. Now, because we're in the 21st century in Western civilization, I'm going to read that sentence again. Sexual expression is not the only way to live in this world. That, I think, is about contrary to everything that is happening in our popular culture than you could possibly imagine. So I'll give it to you a third time. Sexual expression is not the only way to live in this world and is not the only good. There is a better way that some have chosen. There are those who choose the life of the eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There are those who would rather be castrated than commit adultery. Now, Jesus is not commending it nor is he commanding it which I presume is why he's talking about for those who are able to receive it then they receive it and he's not talking about refusing sex within marriage. Once married sexual expression is to be had and is normal that's what 1 Corinthians 7 is teaching us but there are some who will choose not to marry For they have something more than this world in their lives, they have the kingdom of heaven and they will choose therefore to give up the normal expression of the creature in sex and in reproduction for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. By saying this he was challenging the disciples assumption about sexual relationships, their low view of marriage and their carelessness about divorce. Now, I've warned you not to take this passage as Jesus' teaching on marriage, which is, I've just got Jesus on marriage. It really was Jesus the controversialist, challenging the false assumptions of the Pharisees and the disciples. However, from this controversy, we can draw a few principles about Jesus in marriage. First and foremost, that marriage is the Creator's design. When he made humanity, he made us male and female to fill the earth and to subdue it, so that we could leave parental home, be united into one flesh and create a new family. This is part of God's creative purposes. It's not a sacrament of the church. It's not limited to Christian people or to Israel. It's the human condition of all people. Whether people know God or don't, they can be united by him into one flesh with their spouse and nobody should come between husband and wife for they do not make themselves husband and wife, God makes them husband and wife. Sometimes people say that Jesus never made any reference to homosexuality but that's not true. This passage has direct implications against homosexual marriage we're made male and female for the sake of heterosexual marriage so that we may fill the earth and subdue it. The sameness of males and females and the difference between males and females are equally important for us to be coupled into one flesh. We mustn't allow the chauvinist to in any way lower the status of women and we mustn't allow the feminist or the homosexual to remove the difference between men and women. Uh, From weekly I write this little column from the Dean and I've written one this week that is given out to you but there's also in your outline been given a second one which you will not read now. Just thought I'd mention that quickly for you. On Submission and the Clash of Cultures, which is about men and women. In, put it away. I can see people over there reading Don't be so naughty. So that we can actually be talking and reading about that later. It's really strange the attitude people have towards the word submission. It's strange that the feminists want to say biology isn't destiny. the homosexuals want to say biology is destiny but Christians say our Creator creates our destiny. We're creatures of our Creator who determines our destiny. We're more than our biology but our biology is part of His sovereign control and plans for our destiny. Our biology doesn't determine our destiny but yet we are biologically made by God to fulfill His purposes and we don't deny our biology. Our destiny is found in God, who made us the way we are in order to fulfill his purposes. And if we're living as creatures, we live here as men and women, male and female. We unite in marriage. We have children. But as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we may choose to live as single people for the sake of the kingdom. Second thing to say about Jesus on marriage is his attitude to the permanency of marriage it's a union made by God deep personal complete for life it's not something that we simply do it's God who unites us for his purpose and intention as we say at the wedding the minister says I declare them to be husband and wife what God has joined together let no one put asunder and nobody but nobody should ever divide what God has united. So the easy and free attitude of marriage of our society is quite contrary to God's intention in creation. A uh, uh, friend's left a church recently, hearing a sermon, and as they walked out, they couldn't but help hear the people in front of them discussing the sermon, which is lovely when people discuss sermons on the way out of church. It was on divorce and marriage and remarriage and the like and the minister was very kind, very gentle and qualified every kind of situation of life, a longer talk than I'm giving you today but trying to deal with all the circumstances in which people live in this world and as they're walking out the people in front of my friend said, well then divorce and remarriage is all right isn't it? Now I hope that is not what the minister was preaching because Jesus is saying it's not all right. The fact that there may be some circumstances in which mustn't cloud what the main message of Jesus is. Marriage is permanent. It is for life. Divorce is not to be considered. We are here as husband and wife to live together as husband and wife till death us do part. That is Jesus' attitude towards marriage it is a permanency the third thing to say from jesus teaching flows from the first two namely the priority of marital faithfulness better not to be married than to be unfaithful in marriage god unites us we're told in malachi 2 that we may have godly offspring see what is the nature of this unity that god works in us It's not a magical, mystical unity I don't think. It's certainly not a sacramental unity but it's a reality. That is when you pull the two apart what happens to the children? Whose whose child are they? Do they go with mum? Do they go with dad? The people who are most devastated by divorce are the children of marriages. They're the ones who are most hurt. They are the real victims in any divorce because They are both mum and dad. They're not part mum, part dad. They're fully mum, fully dad. And when mum and dad pull apart, they are pulled apart. And the social consequences for them, educationally and employment and in terms of drug usage, in terms of ill health, are are enormously different to those who continue to live in a home where mum and dad continue as husband and wife. But it's not just the children. You see, in the coming together of husband and wife, there's the coming together of two families. And in the divorce, there is the splitting of these families. The grandparents are split from the grandchildren. The uncles and aunts and the cousins and the, everybody around about is ripped up by this process. God is uniting us as humanity in families. It's one huge family made up of little families, And divorce tears at the very fabric of society. He unites us permanently and completely. And we're not to look for a lesser commitment or unity or go back on the unity that he has created. Rather, we're to welcome that unity and to develop our lives on the basis that we are now one flesh. Now my friends, this is a disappointing talk because it hasn't answered all your questions. It hasn't addressed all kinds of particular situations that your life is in and it raises as many questions as is answered, doesn't it? But it's not my aim to answer all your questions. Our aim here is to hear what Jesus said. And in this controversy, he did say the most important things about Marriage that it is God's intention and plan from the beginning that we will be united as husband and wife in creation. Now we may still have to work out what we're doing given our circumstances. We can see clearly what God has intended and we cannot take that lightly, ignoring him or his intentions for us. I am married and have been for 40 something years. Until I die or my wife dies, that is the state of life in which God wishes me to be, and I must continue in. If I were single, which I'm not, then I may choose to remain single for the sake of the work of the kingdom of heaven. But if I choose to marry, then I choose to live in unity with my wife, that we may have children, and raise them to the praise and glory of God. That's the main message. The questions you may have, what ifs, they're not addressed in the passage. So be wary of drawing the answers out of this passage. And do not be like the Pharisees, asking the questions to test Jesus, rather than asking the questions to find the answers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus and for his teaching, and we pray, Father, that you would help us as men and women to live as you have created us to live and to live as you have saved us to live, that as husbands and wives we may be united to our husband, to our wife, and as single people we may choose marriage or choose to live singly for the kingdom of heaven. But whichever way we choose to live, Father, give to us such outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we might live in holiness and righteousness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.